Welcome to the eLaborate Topics Podcast, where we focus on lab-specific strategies for medical laboratory professionals. We're proud to be the healthcare detectives that work behind the scenes to get the results needed to influence medical decisions. Let's grow together and jump right into the lab. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of eLaborate Topics. We are your hosts, Tyrona Wilson, Lona Small, and Stephanie Whitehead. If this is your first time tuning into Elaborate Topics, thank you so much for tuning in. We're so glad that you landed on this podcast. Elaborate Topics is a weekly podcast that gives you strategies that you can use inside and outside of the lab. So make sure you continue to tune in week after week. If you are a returning podcast listener, thank you for staying on the journey with us, and continuing to listen week after week. Either way, if you could do us a really, really big favor and share this podcast out with fellow colleagues, friends, and anybody who could benefit from the topics that we discuss here on the show. We've hit a milestone in that we have had over 50 shows to date. So, Make sure you check those out. You can go to directimpactbroadcasting.com to catch up on all of those episodes that you've missed, or you can download from your favorite podcast platform. So today's show, we are going to be talking about hiring for leaders. We are going to go from the planning process to the actual interview process and give you some helpful tips that you should think about before you onboard your next team member. It starts way before you actually get the person in the door for the interview. And we're going to kick it off. Lona has some awesome tips about designing your team and thinking about that planning of that new team member once you have that opening and you're deciding to bring on a new member of your team. So she's going to give a little bit more insight into that. So Lona, you want to kind of talk about uh, that planning process and, and getting us into the mindset of, hey, it's time to bring on a new team member, now what? Thanks so much, Taiwana. Hello, everyone. I would, you know, as we discuss today talking about hiring, I couldn't help but think about planning before hiring. And a lot of times we're in a crunch, especially for us in the medical lab, we're always in a crunch, we're short-staffed, and it's usually like, what we think about is like we need someone in now. We need to hire. We are short. There's a lot of burnout. And what we find is that we hire someone or we hire a few people, and before we know it, they're either frustrated, they may not be a good match, there are things that may be going on, and we find that they're leaving, and the turnover keeps just going. And so – I wanted us to think about what can we consider before we get to that point of hiring. So we're actually hiring with clarity. And so I, before I'd done a podcast or some training on designing your ideal team, and so it's so important to have that environment with your team 
For one, you need to know the type of person that you want in your team. You want to know the culture that you want to create. So it's good to have a clear vision of the team that you want. So when you have a clear vision of your team, you'll have a clearer vision of the person that you want to hire. So just ask just have that vision in terms of even things like how many FTE that you need. But not only that, but things like the type of diversity that you want on your team, the type of skill set that you want on your team, um, just doing a full assessment in terms of, like, do we need generalists? Instead of saying we need someone now, and then when they come in, you're trying to figure out where do we fit them. But just do a full assessment. Have a clear vision. And then once you have your vision, then you see where you are. Where am I now? Is there a gap in what I really want or what vision I have and what I have now? So that's kind of helping you to prepare your, for your hiring process. And if you find that you have a gap, even before you hire, try to make adjustment with the gap because it could be a gap like if you have a vision for your team, like the kind of values. You find that you have issues with, like, teamwork or you have issues with people who are, you know, have um, problems with making errors or um, people who really don't care about patient safety make those adjustments because every time you're hiring people into that team, maybe into a toxic environment or into a culture that you're not happy with, it's almost putting a Band-Aid on the problem. So it's best to make these adjustments to your team to create the kind of culture that you need to do the proper training that you have. If you you realize that there's a challenge with the type of SOPs or whatever. So based on the vision that you have, if it's a vision where you're thinking more about the competency, the type of value, make those adjustments first. And then after you make the adjustment, you can even make adjustments with FTEs because a lot of times we are working on an old structure of the FTE was designed for maybe, say, 30 people, and your volume maybe went up even higher, and you need more, but because you had an old structure. Or your structure was, say, for 20 people, but with automation, you may have, you may be lucky to operate on less. So go back and do some reassessment because you probably could have redesigned your lab to be more efficient, and so you're struggling because you're placing people the way you've always done, and it's in a very inefficient way, and people are struggling because of how they're being placed. And so it seems as if you're short-staffed when you're not. So, so it's more about having a vision, looking at the gaps that you have with your vision, and your vision could be anything, um, but looking at those gaps, making the adjustments, and then you have that plan to hire with clarity. So now that you're thinking to hire, now you're thinking, okay, we have a clear vision. We know what the values are as a group. We know the type of person, the behavior. We know the kind of skills. 
we know if we we want to do um, higher with diversity in mind. We know if we want to include um, people who may have um, different challenges that we want to make sure that diversity is involved. And then we go into the hiring with that clarity instead of that uh, reaction like, oh, my goodness, we're losing people we need to hire, and then find that we keep losing people over and over again. And I know this is challenging whenever we are short. We need, you know, you want to react immediately, but that, the thought about stopping to shorten the saw comes in to me in mind a lot of time, especially when it comes to quality and patient safety. So many times we want things done so fast, but we find that it's taking us longer because we didn't do it right in the first um, place. So that's what I wanted to offer before we even start with the whole process of the interview, just to have that in mind so we go in that interview with a clearer um, perspective of who is it, what person. You already have an idea of the type of person that you're looking for to fit, that will fit your team. I don't know if any um, um, Taiwana or Stephanie have anything to add when it comes to the preparation or having that clear idea of who you want to fit in that team. I think you bring up some good points, Lona, in that, you know, getting that clarity. I mean, how many times have we had it happen where a person leaves and we're just trying to replace them, and it's not necessarily what the team needs? One of the things, too, if you don't have that clarity and you may be thinking, well, I might change this role up in the future, then when you do start to interview candidates, you're not clear as to what you're even offering them. I've seen that happen, too, where it's like, okay, well, the position is this, a manager position or supervisor position, and you have it in mind that it's going to be a, a replacement of the person that left it, but then that's not really out to be. So I think it's very important to have that clarity based off of your needs uh, so that you can hire the best candidate, the best fit, with the best skill sets that you need at that time. Always looking and readjusting and making sure that you are now getting uh, the right fit as your needs has changed uh, in the organization. Stephanie, what do you think? I totally agree. I think um, as a manager or as a hiring person in your department, a lot of the success in this process is going to be is going to be dependent on how much you plan and how much you prepare. So first and foremost, just like Lona said, you need to understand your team, but you also need to understand the position that you are trying to fill. You know, what shift is it supposed to work? Is it supposed to work a split shift? Is it supposed to work a rotating shift? Is this a set schedule, but we need you to be flexible? Um, every other weekend or being able to come in earlier on some days and later on other days. Um, what does a typical day for a person who fills this position look like? I've been in, I've sat in interviews so many times, and then, you know, you go through the typical interview process with the candidate, and they're interviewing you just like you were interviewing them. They're assessing you as an employer and as an organization to work for, so you want to be as prepared as possible for these conversations and these questions. And I have been a part of many different interviews where interviewees 
or candidates have asked really good questions about what does a typical day look like, what will I be doing, who will I be interacting with, what, what is the team like, and the people doing the interview aren't really prepared to answer those questions. And so I, I challenge you to always um, approach the interviewing process or the recruitment process as if you were trying to re-recruit yourself. You know, how professional do you want to look? What kind of, um, what kind of picture do you want to set forward? To the candidate that you're meeting. And so understanding, you know, for that candidate or that person you're interviewing what their typical day will look like, um, who will they be interacting with? You know, you could be hiring a tech on the bench, but, you know, if we're working in a certain section and a certain time of day, maybe you're going to be working day shift in um, hematopathology, so we're going to train you on how to do bone marrow assist. So you will have to be occasionally interacting with our pathologists or our fellows, you know, um, understanding exactly what they will be doing because perhaps they don't want to do that. Maybe they don't want any level of patient interaction, and they need to understand that that will be a part of the job up front. We don't want any surprises on the first day when you start to train them, them saying, well, I didn't know that was going to be a part of the job. If you work in a – if you operate a laboratory – um, with a very large blood bank, and you're um, like us, we're a level one trauma center, and we respond to alpha level one traumas, um, we tell the blood bank candidates that you will be required to respond to alpha level one trauma, so you will be in the trauma bay, you know, with the response team, with these surgeons, with these doctors, with these nurses. It's a very stressful, hectic, busy environment. We want you to know that up front, you know, in, in case that's not something that you were looking for. Again, um, the interview works both ways. They're interviewing you, you're interviewing them. Um, are there any additional duties that you should consider informing them of? So if they will work in your laboratory but occasionally have to travel, occasionally have to go off-site for things, make sure that you're mentioning those things up front. You don't want to hire a person who has transportation issues and there's an expectation that they will need to travel. So I would say understand the position that you're trying to fill and be able to explain that as well as possible. And if you don't have all of the aspects of this position worked out, you could explain that too. You can say this is a, a position that we are newly developing, and we want you to be a part of that development process. And how comfortable are you giving feedback as we try to develop these things and you know, letting us know what's working well and what's not working well as we try to set the concrete uh, and the foundation for what this position will look like. Once you have a candidate, and, you know, I'm not sure if you'll be working with your human resources department, some places do, or some people go out and they find candidates on their own, but the interview process should be just as ironclad as your research you did to figure out who you want to be in your department. Um, if you are not sure of, you know, how to do that, there are several classes, several books out there. I'd also suggest, you know, maybe collaborating with the human resources department to understand you know, the best ways to conduct your interviews. Um, definitely up front, know the do's and don'ts. There are certain questions that by law, and, you know, it may vary from state to state, that you cannot ask in an interview. So I would definitely suggest that you try to make the interview process as professional as possible up front, um, trying to not make inappropriate small talk. I know that can be difficult if there's awkward silence or some downtime, maybe as the the candidate is coming into the room or you're waiting for people to file in or, you know, right now because of COVID, if you're doing dial-in or WebEx or Zoom interviews, there can be some awkward silence and, you know, the 
tendency is to want to fill that with some small talk, but just understanding, you know, there are uh, questions that can be considered inappropriate, and um, you're not allowed to ask questions like, you know, where do you go to church, or how many kids do you have, you know, those are questions we shouldn't be asking. Um, a person applying for a job, and so just understanding that. What I would do sometimes is um, uh, make sure that when I was interviewing a candidate, have something prepared for them, even if it's something as simple with like as a little folder with my card in it, um, and you know maybe some information about the organization, and just go over some basic information about you know the benefits. You know, here we offer, you know, this many hours of PTO and, you know, just talk about small talk about the organization until we were prepared for the interview process to try to um, assist with that dead silence. You know, make sure during the interview process, of course, you're asking the job-related questions only, um, and this helps ensure that you're being consistent and fair amongst everybody who is interviewing in the process. And having a structured interview template of questions also helps make your interview process is objectable and legally defensible as possible. I've been in situations where, you know, people have come back and questioned why they didn't get hired over another person. And when you have a structured interview process where we're doing peer interviews and we're doing appropriate scoring um, and we're looking at the responses and everybody is writing notes, then it's easy to justify, you know, why one person was hired over another and it's easy to explain that it had nothing to do with race, creed, color, experience, age, or anything that, you know, people may, you know, consider um, discrimination or a bias or anything like that. Um, like I mentioned, the template that I love to use and that I encourage the people who work for me to use is full of behavioral-based questions. Um, and there's a lot of information about behavioral-based questions online if you're not um, really sure what that is, but behavioral best questions is a type of interviewing where we use previous actions to predict future uh, performance through open-ended questions. Um, so the, to me, behavioral questions really help me understand um, the skills of a candidate for, to have them talk through hypothetical situations. And so I'll give you a couple examples. And we have different templates in our laboratory based on the position that we're hiring. So examples, if we're hiring a manager or a supervisor or somebody that will be in leadership, an example question we might ask them is, how do you organize for major projects that will impact your work areas and cite examples of large projects that you've had to manage? And that gives us an idea of, you know, your leadership, how you talk through that question. Um, are you able to cite specific examples where you manage actual large projects? Because in our laboratory, we operate um, pretty large operations and, you know, a lot of testing and the validation tend to be really expensive. So we want to make sure that people can handle that with, um, without being overwhelmed and they are able to manage tasks in a timely fashion um, without things being delayed or lagging. Um, another question might be, has a member of your leadership, either your manager, supervisor, or director, ever made a decision that you did not agree with? If so, how did you handle this situation or describe a time when your team did not support a decision you made? And the reason that question is important is we want to understand how do you handle it when you don't like a situation that might have been made in the laboratory. Um, for us, and like I said, these behavioral questions can be based on situations that happened in your laboratory and maybe you know, you're hiring a person that you want to fit um, a specific model in your laboratory, but for us, 
we have had, you know, situations where people may not have liked the decisions that were made in the laboratory and um, the way that they handled those situations really impacted the team negatively. So as we were looking at hiring new members of the team, we wanted to ask those questions up front. Again, behavioral-based questions, let us know what you would do if you were in this situation. That helps us assess what kind of member we would be adding to the team would you, if you would be chosen for the job. Another example is how would you handle issues involving complaints from physicians or patients? And this is an example question on a phlebotomy coordinator um, template. And so if you're a phlebotomy coordinator, obviously you might be in a situation where there is an unhappy physician, you know, maybe all of the labs that he ordered didn't get drawn, or unhappy patient, maybe we said it was going to feel like an ant bite and, it, you know, they got a hematoma, they had a huge bruise and they were unhappy. How would you handle that situation? Uh, we want to make sure that you have the tools to describe how you would work through that situation. Um, describe a time that you noticed someone not following a defined protocol and how you would address that. You know, obviously we work in a laboratory, so there's defined procedures, there's defined policies on everything that we do. And sometimes we hire technologists that, you know, um, may view a friend, you know, not waiting the appropriate time to um, check a manual test. To They talk about skipocytes, you know, when they're reading manual diffs. Um, you know, they just repeat QC over and over and over until it comes in. And they know that that may not be best for the quality, and that's not by procedure, but how would you handle that situation? Would you approach that coworker? Would you ignore it? Would you tell your supervisor? Um, these are all things we want to know about you because these are some of the actual things that might, that might happen in your laboratory. Um, if you're hiring a person that might be doing training, you know, down the road or a training as part of their um, position, you may ask them to describe your training style. How do you handle training someone who is having trouble understanding a process? So if you work in a laboratory where you have a lot of students rotating through, or if you work in a laboratory where, you know, there is a lot of turnover, you'll be, you know, the person will be doing a lot of training, you know, uh, do you get frustrated when you have to train a person? Do you um, get agitated or are you thoroughly training the person? We want to understand, have you ever trained a person before? Maybe you don't know, even know how to train. Um, so like I said, these are some of the example of behavioral-based questions that we ask on some of our different templates. And we encourage you to have um, just a standard, you know, template that you can go through and try to gauge how people would act in certain different situations and you can tailor them to situations that you're looking for in your laboratory. Um, by all means, I would suggest avoid boring questions. I mean, like most people who Google be successful in an interview process you know, most Google sites will, or Internet sites will pull up things like, what is your strength and what is your weakness? Um, and all of us have been guilty of interviewing people and using some of these questions, which are fine for the most part. But like I said, um, sometimes it may look like you didn't put a lot of effort into the questions when all of your questions are just standard questions and they're nothing really about the environment that person will work, be working in. So questions like, you know, what instrumentation have you worked with and what LISs are you familiar with? Or have you ever made a technical mistake? And if you did, how did you handle that mistake and what was the result? Um, these are questions that will help you understand what type of employee this person will ultimately be. When you're hiring a, a person or when you're interviewing people, 
from external. They're external to your organization. They're external to your laboratory. I would suggest definitely also having a template to pre-screen um, candidates by the phone. This just helps you save time. You know, when I call a candidate on the phone, I've got you know a template of standardized questions that I ask. Sometimes people have already gotten jobs by the time you know I get their application. And I'm able to call them, so it just saves time on their end and our end. Sometimes. You know, I'm hiring for a second shift position. They're only looking for first shift, and so I'm not going to schedule you for an interview. I'll keep you your name on file should anything change. Um, but once you do have a pool of candidates that you feel like are good for that job and you're, you're preparing them to come on site, to come um, and view your laboratory, um, and, you know, you're going to interview them, one, you know, make sure that you inform them of the appropriate time, um, if there's anything specific in terms of parking, you know, um, we, we live in a large city, and so there's a parking garage. And, you know, I always tell people park here. There's a, these are the directions where you need to walk. We'll validate your parking um, after the interview, all of those things that they might have questions about. Um, but be prepared as possible. You know, you walk into this interview, into this meeting, into this conversation like you're about to hire your next best hire because you don't know, you might be about to hire your next best high performer. And you want to make sure that you're making as good of an impression for them as you would like for them to make on you. So, you know, during the interview, try not to be distracted. Try not to be late. Pay attention to your body language. Um, I've seen people who have kind of, you know, tuned out in the middle of the interview process. And although, you know, you, you may already know in your head, I'm not going to hire this person, you just – the lab community is a very small community, so you just don't want to burn any bridges. It's just rude. You know, um, pay attention to your body language. Um, and like I said, always understand that the interviewee is assessing you just as much as you are assessing them. Now, we have a different process internally if we're um, hiring a candidate that is our, or we're interviewing the candidate um, that is already a member of our team. So if we're pulling together um, candidates that are applying, maybe these people are providing, interviewing for a promotion in our laboratory, and these are all technologists that work on our team already. We've got a entirely separate process because we also, like I said before, don't want there to be any inclination of us being biased or, you know, having favoritism or anything like that. So I also caution people against that. Um, so ensure that the people that you have maybe on your panel, maybe um, if you're going to interview two or three techs that already work in your laboratory, um, I definitely inter uh, suggest a panel interview. But make sure that some of the people you have on the panel are external to that department. So if you're hiring for maybe, say, a blood bank supervisor, maybe have other supervisors that work in other areas of the lab, the chemistry supervisor, the hematology supervisor, maybe the histology supervisor, be a part of that panel because although they may not be able to ask that person specifics about the blood bank process, they do know what it takes to meet the competency of a supervisor in this department and would they be a good fit of the team. And also this is going to be another supervisor peer that we might have to work with. And so it gives you a little bit of external um, uh, feedback on that position. We did this when we um, brought on a lab educator. And um, on the panel, I had also one nurse educator and an educator from respiratory therapy because I knew that as a lab educator, the lab educator might have to interface and also have to work with our nursing educator 
for, you know, process improvements or education we might need done on, you know, pre-analytical process improvements. So I wanted, you know, their input on if the candidates that we were looking at would make good fits for that position. Um, so don't be afraid to include people outside of the lab or outside that immediate department. Um, also ensure that whatever panel you do set up, you know, that they are paying attention to the template, that they're asking only the questions on the template, that they're scoring, you know, maybe appropriately or evenly across, across the board, um, and they're asking the, the consistent questions each time, and that helps you if somebody says, okay, well, why did they get it? And I didn't get it just because they me their favorite or, you know, something like that. You can defend against that. Either way, I would say, you know, another important part of your interview process is always to know what the next steps are. Like I said, imagine if you are the person interviewing for a position. You don't want to be hanging around a month later wondering what happened. Are you going to get the job? Are they still interviewing people? So I always um, make sure I communicate clear next steps. And so after the interview, I might say, something like, thank you for interviewing with us today. Over the next three weeks, we'll be interviewing, you know, a few other candidates, so we hope to be able to provide you an answer back within four weeks. Um, because on the candidate side, if they need a job before four weeks from now, or if they have another offer on the table, at least they know where I stand, um, and they are able to move forward appropriately with what they're doing. Obviously, I mean, like they're looking for a job, so you don't want to leave them around lingering either. Um, like I said, always consult your human resources department or maybe another peer or, you know, your director if you have any questions. The biggest advice I would give, though, is avoid desperation because a lot of times, and this has happened in my lab, this has happened in previous labs that I've worked in, um, we have a pivotal position or we have, you know, one too many openings and we get desperate and we look for somebody, and we interview for somebody, and you can always tell when you're interviewing, oh, this is not going to be a good fit. Well, they don't have all of the, you know, all of the qualifications that we need, or, you know, they haven't worked in a lab for 10 years, but I'm desperate. I need somebody. I need a body in this seat. And you hire them. You know, I, I really caution you against that because uh, it very rarely has worked out well in the labs that I've worked in, typically it's a waste of time because it's not a good fit for them, just not like it's not a good fit for you, and your team ends up wasting time and energy training a person that's just not going to be there long term. So I encourage you, even though it can be painful in the short term with your team working overtime or longer hours or people having to put in more effort to do pick up more work, um, to really wait till you have that right person because in the long run, you, you and your team will do a lot better. So I know um, Taiwana is going to go over some tips for you if you are actually the one being interviewed. Like I said, when you're going into an interview, not only um, am I interviewing you as a unique position to fill, but you are also interviewing uh, that company on do I want this person as a boss? Do I want this organization to work at? You know, how organized do they seem? How, what does a culture seem like to me? Uh, what kind of vibe am I getting? So as, as, as a person who's going into an interview, obviously there's some things I want to do, right? I want to be myself. I want to make sure I prepare for the questions. I want to make sure I'm on time and I can I memorize my resume and I can highlight my qualifications. And so Taiwan is going to go over some tips for you if you are actually the one being interviewed. Thank you, Stephanie. You actually gave a lot of great tips. 
in that. I just wanted to kind of touch base or piggyback off of a few things that you've already mentioned in regards to the uh, questions, the behavioral-based interview questions. And Stephanie gave some great examples of these open-ended questions. And, And what I find, especially when I interview people, is sometimes we just don't prepare Uh, especially if you are an internal candidate, please don't get comfortable because you're an internal candidate and may not take it as seriously uh, with some of these questions, but know yourself and know your skills enough. So as Stephanie talked about, know your resume inside and out, not just your resume, what you do in the workplace, as well as what you do outside of the workplace to be able to answer some of these questions. Because even the questions that are a little bit more simplify what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses, have been questions that catch people up as well when they've not been able to answer any of those. So if you are being interviewed, uh, some of the things that you should think about in regards to some of the the questions uh, that you should just uh, think about is you're going to get questions around leadership. You're going to get questions about you know, tell me a time when you were a leader in school or the community or in the workplace. You know, what was your leadership? What was the outcome? So that's a standard that you should be ready for, ready for somebody to ask you, and you're able to uh, answer at any time. Communication. These certain buckets of questions are going to be ones that you're going to get quite often. So some if you have some ideas around increasing communication between employees, between shifts, you know, what kind of ideas do you have? That's another one. Uh, It really doesn't matter what role you're going for, but that's another question that you might get that as we have five generations working in the workplace today, that communication is key. And, And as you can gather, we are all communicating very differently typically get conflict management questions as well. So tell me about a time when you had when you were involved in a workplace conflict. You know, what was that conflict and how did you resolve it? I mean, anybody can file a grievance at any time. So, you know, have you been involved in one or have you seen one or had you, you know, had to deal with it? You know, just questions like that are uh or ones that I would add on to what Stephanie has already mentioned. Also, the uh, the desperation for the uh, interviewee. You know, sometimes you can be interviewed and you want the job uh, so bad that you constantly follow up. You followed up two and three and four times, sending emails and calling. You know, so the desperation side from the interviewer, you definitely don't want to come off in that capacity because then uh, you start to be a bit of a headache, and then uh, the manager may not look at you favorably if you are calling, you know, numerous times, checking to see uh, the status of the position. If you are sending numerous emails, uh, that might be something as well. It Also, I've seen it where people, significant others, have followed up with the the manager. So you definitely don't want anybody following up on your behalf. Uh, a family member, I'm checking to see how the interview went. 
Those are things that you don't want as an interviewee. You want to make sure that you are clear on the role that you are getting. I've seen this happen as well, which was very unfortunate, where a technologist actually applied for a position. They thought they were applying for a first shift position. They interviewed and they were extended an offer, but then once they accepted the offer and started working, then they found out that the position was uh, going to be either third shift or rotating shift, which, as we know, is very different uh, from first shift. So as the interviewee, you have to take charge and you have to make sure that you're very clear on the expectations of the role in which you are going to be offered. You know, what shift is it going to be? Asking those good questions and making sure that you are interviewing the organization. So go in armed with some information about the organization. You know, look and see how they are performing in the market. Look and see that you can, you know, ask those questions. Where does the organization see itself uh, within five years? I can tell you I've worked for numerous uh, organizations and, you know, in my most current role, you know, in five years, we have undergone, underwent numerous changes, including ownership changes, system standardization. We've had revamping of our staff. We've had consolidation of positions. So, you know, you want to ask those questions, too, so that you can kind of be aware of maybe the direction of the organization from an employee standpoint or potential employee standpoint. Culture is everything, so you want to make sure that you are asking questions about the culture in the department to make sure that it's a right fit for you. It's not about it being the right position. Sometimes we have it where you can get in the wrong position uh, at an organization. You can be a lead tech at Organization A and, and do well and be at a lead tech at organization B and don't do well, even though the job itself is the same. It goes back to what Lona was talking about and having the right fit. You know, having the right fit, meeting the needs of the people for the organization in which we're going to be at at that time. So those are a few things uh, to think about. Stephanie did an awesome job talking about many of the things that you need to think about from a, a leader's perspective, but a lot of those same things actually still apply from the interviewee's uh, perspective of showing up on time, making sure you get there early, making sure you know who's going to be on the interview panel so that you're able to address people by name and uh, from the employer standpoint of being consistent, it's always important for people to be uh, consistent in that interview process. Lona, what do you think about the interview process? Do you have any additional thoughts that come to mind as Stephanie was talking? So I'm not sure if Lona uh, has anything. I don't think she has anything else to add. What do you think? Do you have anything else, Stephanie? Well, as you were talking, Tawana, one thing I, I thought of uh, making sure you add, and this is the, you brought up a lot of great points, but it goes back to understanding um, who you're hiring in your department. Um, and so another, and also looking at the needs assessment that you have for your area. And so it goes back to just understanding where the holes are and trying to fill those gaps with the best candidate and making those the structure of your open-ended behavioral-based questions. And so one 
thing that we um, had really been looking for here because um, over a period of time, uh, we have our, our, um, an in-house donor center um, in our hospital. It's one of the very few in our city, and so uh, we are inspected by the FDA. And over time, we lost some essential employees that had specific FDA experience. And so one of the questions we added to our interview process for specific um, jobs that we were looking for to be filled was what is your familiarity with regulatory compliance? And it's an open-ended question. And so we were looking for candidates that would mention things about either the AADB or the FDA. And so um, I think it's really important, like um, Taiwana said, just understand where your qualifications lie because you, don't, you, you may not know in the back of your head what the employer is looking for when they ask some of these questions. So you want to make sure that you're highlighting everything that you can possibly do, everything that you've ever done in the back of your mind. Um, somebody might easily brush over that question and say, yeah, I've done a couple of cap inspections and I've, you know, prepared for cap inspections and I've been on cap inspections, but if you've, you know, also um, been to ABB conferences or, you know, work with people who um, were AB, ABB assessors and you brushed over that, not highlighting that, and you don't know in the back of my mind that that's what I'm actually looking for, for somebody to say, then um, you could be, you know, missing an opportunity to really sell yourself in that moment. So I would say, you know, the best advice is, you know, just like what Lotus said, using that needs assessment, really assessing what do I need in my department and building the template of your standardized behavior but questions around that so you can start assessing, making sure that you're finding the right person uh, to join your team. Absolutely. Yeah. So, there are a few I could add with um, what uh, Ty Warner was saying in terms of preparation for the actual candidate is to think about first look at the position and think about what it is that you would want to highlight in the interview. So instead of just being reactive in the interview, not knowing what questions are going to be asked, be proactive in how you state your answers, even how you introduce yourself. So based on how you tell your, um, the interviewer about yourself, you could move the interview in the direction in which you want it to go for them to have follow-up questions. So you can highlight some of your skills, some of your experiences that you want to highlight. And use opportunities based on the questions to highlight some things, even if the question was not specifically directed at those because you can fit in things into a question if you want to. So make sure you take advantage of, you know, just having that conversation to highlight the things that maybe the interviewer haven't thought about that you know could be a plus for you. So be proactive, plan ahead, and decide on the strengths and some of the experiences that you want to highlight when you are part of that interview. Absolutely. I think that was a great point of making sure that you tell the story that you want to your experience. I know for me there are certain things that whether I'm being considered for a promotion or another opportunity or sitting on the board, there are certain things that I always uh, want to make sure I mention, and one of those is being able to train scientists uh, on a 
fact that that was a highlight for my career, but it wouldn't be necessarily one of those questions that they might ask, so that's something that I definitely uh, highlight. So I think that's a good point of making sure that you highlight some of those things that are important to you that you think the interview team should know. So thank you, listener audience, for tuning in to this awesome show that we had today about hiring for new leaders, the interviewee, giving you tips and strategies that you could use. We thank you for tuning in to this episode of Elaborate Topics. As always, please share, share, share with your colleagues. If you're interested in being on this show, you can go to directimpactbroadcasting.com. There's a link that actually has a form for you to fill out so we can capture all of your information, your bio, your picture, and all of that great stuff. Or you could send us an email at elaboratetopics at directimpactbroadcasting.com. Again, please share this out. If, and continue to subscribe to the podcast and listen in week after week. So thank you so much. We appreciate it. And until next time, have an awesome day. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Elaborate Topics, where your hosts discussed relevant strategies for laboratory professionals. Please subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and listen to us on directimpactbroadcasting.com. Stay tuned for another episode with information you can use to excel in your laboratory career.